0: Episode 12, Checking Your Rates
1: Welcome to Chain of Wealth. Here's your host, Dennis, inspiring you to begin your journey of financial freedom.
0: Hey Chainers, today we're speaking with Greg McBride, a Chief Financial Analyst and a graduate from the University of Florida. Greg is the Senior VP for Bankrate.com. Bankrate is a one-stop shop for financing. They offer services that include personal finance loans, automobile loans, mortgages, and credit cards. Greg provides analysis and advice on personal finance. He also has over two decades of experience in personal finance. He has the ability to provide an in-depth interpretation and practical good advice for our listeners. Welcome, Greg.
2: Thanks for having me. Greg, hopefully you can help out our chainers with planning for buying a home and for retirement. But first, can you tell us a little bit about yourself?
1: Well, you know, personal finance is my passion. It's been my passion even longer than it's been my career, uh, when the career spans over two decades at this point. But I just, you know, I really uh, enjoy helping people make good financial decisions. Um, I'm also a, a chartered financial analyst. Uh, and I'd say my personal crusade is to get people to save more money, whether that's for short-term needs like emergencies or or longer-term like retirement. Fantastic. A lot of people think that
0: there's a right time to buy. What are some things should be considered, and when would you consider a right time to buy something?
1: Well, if you're looking at something like buying a house, uh, you know I often equate it to getting married. Um, you've got to be in it for the long haul, and you've got to be prepared for the financial commitment. Um, that you know buying a house. It takes a lot of it. it it's like hooking a uh, a car vac up to your your pocketbook. It just sucks the cash right out of you. It's expensive. <laughs> um, it's expensive to get in. It's expensive to stay there. Uh, and so you have to have a long term view. Uh, in, in how long you're going to be there. Um, and you've you know got to be willing to 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 stay there a while because that's when the benefits of homeownership really accrue. Um, you know, I think people often romanticize the idea of home ownership without necessarily getting into the specifics of what it's going to take, not just to get into the home, but you know, to build a life, uh, and have some financial freedom while you're living there rather than feeling like you're handcuffed to the home.
2: So when it comes to buying a house, what area do you see people getting hung up on the most?
1: I, you know, I think the lack of savings uh, is something that, that has a ripple effect uh, for a lot of first-time buyers. It's, you know, it limits the amount of the down payment you can make. Uh, which, by by virtue of making a smaller down payment, it you know results in higher costs. You end up paying private mortgage insurance, or you may have a higher rate. Um, and but also, you're using up what limited cash you have just getting into the home with that modest down payment, your closing costs, and then you know, the inevitable moving expenses and the new furniture that you will want to buy. And so you're using up what limited cash you have. And the reality is you're going to need that emergency fund more than ever once you get into the home. So I'm not a fan of people wiping out their emergency reserve, just getting in the home, because like I said, you're going to need that emergency reserve more than ever once you're in the home. Um, So it's I I think there's a real premium on accumulating savings. Um, so that when you do buy a home, it doesn't compromise your overall financial situation or limit your financial flexibility. Speaking about buying a home, is there sort of like a formula
0: or something that people should use to try and determine what's right for them? And how do they really know how much of a house they should be affording based on how much they're earning and spending today?
1: Well, we have a calculator at bankrate.com that helps people determine just that. How much house can I afford? That's the name of the calculator. Uh, and it's really important, I think, make that your really your first step. Before you go out and start looking at places, um, you know, you need to set some boundaries around your spending um, and know what kind of what your limitations are. So in that sense, uh, using that calculator first kind of gives you a frame of reference as to, you know, what type of properties you should be looking at in the first place. Awesome. So
0: let's dive into the housing market a little bit. The S&P Dow Jones Index's manager, David Blitzer, said home prices have reached all-time highs. That was on October 31st, 2017. What are your thoughts about the current housing market at the moment? And how do you think the increase is sustainable? And do you foresee any potential correction that may be
1: coming in future months or years? Well, potential changes to the mortgage interest deduction the property tax deduction uh, you know, that could really undercut demand a- in prices in high-cost markets, areas along the coasts, uh, you know, the San Francisco Bay Area, area uh, parts of Southern California as well. Um, you know, I think that's a, a certainly a risk. Now, again, what we've got so far is just the tax proposal. It's not tax law. But I think that's one thing uh, to definitely keep an eye on in terms of impact on the housing market. Uh, Those areas where prices have really run up lately and they've really kind of run away from the fundamentals. prone prices have increased a lot faster than people's ability to afford them. Um, Yeah, I think there's a risk there of of price softening for sure. Uh, But for most uh, of America and and largely middle America, no, I don't, this is nothing that's gonna be equated with 2006 in any way. I mean, the pace of increase in real estate prices in most markets has been very modest. And- It's been more in line with uh, the underlying fundamentals, things like job growth, income growth, uh, the ability of people to take on those those bigger payments. It's not been because we've had this, uh, you know, uh, fire hose of easy credit, you know, flooding the market like, uh, you know, was the case during the housing boom.
2: And we know that leaving a bunch of money sitting in your bank account is not a good idea. But where do you suggest for young professionals to put their money?
1: Well, you you do want to have that emergency fund. So you know the the money that's going to pay the bills if you have a job loss or unplanned expenses. Uh, that's the money that does belong in a bank account. Uh, seek out the top yielding savings accounts. Have that liquid reserve there. Uh, but it, it you also need to then. Uh, start focusing on building for retirement. Uh, Take advantage of your workplace 401k plan. You wanna be contributing at least enough to maximize the employer match. That's free money. Uh, And then also uh, uh, look into a Roth IRA. Um, Make those contributions. uh, For those that are under age 50, you can put in up to $5,500 a year. And and the bottom line is this, you need to train yourself to save 10 to 15% of your income. And if you can start, if you can train yourself to do that right off the top, early in your career, that's a habit that's going to stay with you for years to come. Speaking about the Roth IRA and traditional IRAs,
0: how do I know which one would be right for me?
1: Well, it, this isn't either or. Uh, you, know, you can take advantage of both if you choose. Uh, together, you can't make a, a contribution that totals more than $5,500 in any given tax year. Uh, but the, uh, the advantage of the Roth is that you're paying your taxes on the front end. You're putting in after-tax money now, but when you make your withdrawals in retirement, all that is tax-free. Uh, with the traditional IRA, you get an upfront uh, tax deduction on your contributions, but you pay taxes when, when you make those withdrawals in retirement. And so for young people, the analogy I often use is, picture a snowball rolling downhill. Do you wanna pay Uncle Sam at the top of the hill when that snowball is the size of your fist? Or do you want to have to pay Uncle Sam at the bottom of the hill when that snowball is the size of a car? Um, the advantage of the Roth is you're you're getting Uncle Sam out of the way at the top of the hill when that your retirement nest egg is is that tiny snowball. And that way, when you get to the bottom of the hill and you've got that giant, massive snowball, it's all yours.
2: That's a really good analogy. Talking about IRAs, I also had a question about a CD. Are there different types of CDs, like a different type of IRAs? Or can you tell us a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, I mean, a CD is a specific investment. It's a certificate of deposit. It's um, You're basically committing your money to the bank for a specified period of time. And because you're willing to commit your money for that period of time, they're going to pay you a higher return than they would in something like a savings account where you could take that money out at a moment's notice. Uh, and so there are different maturities of, of CDs. Uh, some can be as short as a couple of months and others you know, can be as long as five years. In some cases, you see them even longer term than that. Uh, the key here is how long can you live without the money? Don't put money into a CD if you can't afford to live without that money uh, until the CD matures. Because if you need to, to cash that CD out prior to maturity, you pay an early withdrawal penalty. And not only can that early withdrawal penalty... Eat up any advantage that the CD had over keeping the money in a savings account. Um, if you don't have acu- enough interest accumulated to pay the early withdrawal penalty, we find that more than 90% of financial institutions will chew into the principal to satisfy that early withdrawal penalty. So, you know, if you do it wrong, you could actually lose money on a CD, which is the exact opposite reason people are putting money into the CD. They're putting their money in to preserve it. So, uh, that is assessing your time horizon is really, really critical. And for most people, what they really need is liquid savings, that emergency savings, that rainy day fund, uh, much more so than accumulating money in CDs. Right. Definitely makes sense. You don't want to lose any money
0: if you're trying to make (laughs) an investment. (laughs) 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 Awesome. So speaking about savings and investing and looking towards retirements, I think people of any age, they always look at their investments, they look at their savings, and they say, do I have enough money saved up to retire whenever the date is? And how do people kind of know if they're on track?
1: Well, I, for, for starters, I think this is that value of training yourself to save 10 to 15% of your income specifically for retirement from the get-go uh, because that habit stays with you And it's easier to ramp up your savings than uh, as your earnings grow throughout life. And so if you're doing that, if you're saving 10 to 15% of your income for retirement and you've been doing that consistently from your first paycheck, you are on track um you know most people they got a later start um some people have gotten a really late start uh some people when they do start they don't save nearly enough they just make a token 3% contribution that's not going to cut it if that's you then you're behind uh and so uh you know again we have calculators at bankrate.com that can help you figure out how much you're going to need to accumulate for retirement and you know whether or not you're on track for that given where you are right now uh but you know it just in, in, in a nutshell If you're not saving at least 10 percent of your income for retirement, you need to be because that's really, uh, you know, that's really the threshold we should all be aiming for.
2: Okay, well, that's good to know. And we know not to rely on Social Security for our retirement when we get older. But we keep hearing that there will not be any Social Security left for millennials. How much truth is there in that?
1: Well, I I look, I think the, the, the point to make here is don't count on it being there, um, particularly for millennials. This is a generation that's going to have the biggest retirement savings burden in history. Their lifespans are going to be longer. Their health care costs are going to be higher. They're going to have fewer pensions than the generations that preceded them. And the future of Social Security is, I would say, more uncertain for them than it is for anybody else. So the bottom line here is, it really puts a premium on saving for yourself. Uh, we talked about saving that 10 to 15% of your income uh, from the start of your career and, and that having that grow as your earnings grow uh, and continue to put more away, there's gonna be an increased reliance on you accumulating the nest egg that you need for retirement. You can't count on social security just like you can't count on getting a job with an employer that offers a pension you know, those have you know really gone by the wayside, and you know are, are a rare breed at this point. So the burden is increasingly on us as individuals. I always
0: like to say, don't place too many eggs in one basket, and that's exactly what people do if they only rely on social security. You need to really focus on you and your personal financial position, and really try and you know broaden your horizon and make sure that you are diversified, whether it's through your own investments or whatever it is. But you need to be doing something
1: yeah absolutely agree I mean you know Social Security was never intended to be the sole source of retirement income so um, you know to the extent that people are relying on that it doesn't provide much in the way of uh, you know a dignified retirement Excellent. chainers we're just going to take a quick break and say a
0: quick very big thank you to our sponsors and then we're gonna dive right back into the value link round chainerss We really hope that you enjoy this podcast and you find it really useful. If you really do, head over to ChainOfWealth.com and subscribe, rate and review. Any reviews on iTunes are really, really helpful for us. It brings up the ratings of the show and helps us really provide more content for you to really help you learn how to grow your wealth and become financially free. So head over to ChainOfWealth.com and subscribe. All right, Greg. So why do you think that people struggle to save and plan for the future?
1: Uh, they don't prioritize saving, um, you know, saving uh, for too many people is something they try to do at the end of the month based on whatever's left over. And too often nothing's left over. So the savings doesn't happen. So it has to be prioritized. You've got to save first, pay yourself first. That's really the key to successful saving.
2: And do you have any other podcasts or books that you recommend?
1: Well, I, you know, there are a lot of books I, I like and have read and, and would recommend, but, you know, I think just to, you know, kind of boil it down to sort of one series of books, it would be The Millionaire Next Door. Uh, I think it gives you great insight into building wealth over time, the habits that are necessary to do so, and the fact that it doesn't take a big income. In fact, it's not a function of a big income. Uh, it's a fact, a function of being a discipline saver and having good uh, and uh, good financial habits to go along with that discipline.
2: Great. And can you tell us the best advice that somebody has ever given to you?
1: Uh, you know, it's probably, you know, thinking long term, um, you know, or in, in kind of combining that with just sort of impressing upon me the need to save. Uh, I think when you intersect those two, saving and thinking long term, uh, you know, I think that those are those are two successful, uh, two ingredients to kind of build uh, financial success and stability in, for the future.
2: Right. And do you have a favorite quote that you like to live by?
1: Uh, yeah. You know, Warren Buffett has a lot of quotes, but there's one in particular that I really uh, aspire to. It's actually uh, on the uh, homepage of our, our uh, Facebook uh, profile at Bankrate, and that is, uh, don't save what's left over after spending, but spend what's left over after saving. And again, that kind of goes back to that comment I made a moment ago about prioritizing saving, paying yourself first. Um, it just, you know, that, that's really the, the, the key to, uh, not only successful saving, but building wealth for the future. That's fantastic advice.
0: Greg, what is the best way that our listeners can get in touch with you?
1: Uh, You can find me on Twitter. I'm at BankrateGreg, and uh, you can also uh, find me on our Money Masters page on uh, Facebook. Um, So I'd welcome you to to join the conversation. Again, that's uh, Money Masters. Uh, It's a private group on our bankrate.com Facebook channel.
0: Chainers, check out bankrate.com. Greg, thank you so much for your time, taking your time to give us this interview. We've really enjoyed having you. Thanks for having me. If you enjoyed the show, don't forget to subscribe, rate and review. Catch you on the flip side. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on.